but you got me like a rocket shooting straight across the sky. It's the way you love me. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's impossible. This kiss, this kiss. Hi, my name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. And Lauren, I have a question for you. Yes. What is centrifugal motion? <laughs> Do you have any idea? Uh, centrifugal force. What does that mean? Okay. Do you even know what centrifugal is? Because I looked it up. Do not look it up, Lauren. <laughs> okay. I looked it up. And centrifugal means moving or tending to move away from the center. So centrifugal motion is actually a very redundant lyric because motion is inherent to the word centrifugal. Shall we go find Faith Hill in concert and explain this to her? You're like Kurt Loder when he interviewed Jewel about her poetry book and was picking apart how these things don't actually make sense. Who is he to judge her art? I just realized I've been singing that song for years and I have no idea what the word centrifugal means. Now you know. Now we all know. Anyway, Um, (laughs) we're doing practical magic this month and we didn't expect to do practical magic. I'm sure some of you are like, it's hot as balls still. Why are we watching this coastal grandmother uh, witch film? And it's because... We were originally going to do the film Crossroads. We thought that would be a nice follow-up. We did Sex in the City for July. We thought we'd do Crossroads, where Kim Cattrall plays Britney Spears' mom. Yeah, and Britney is really back in the public eye with her new Elton John single. And I frankly blame Jamie Spears, because you cannot find Crossroads on any streaming platform. It's been completely scrubbed from the internet. Like, you can't even rent it on Vudu. Like, it's... (laughs) You can't even watch it in like 50 parts on YouTube. It's actually gone. We're going to have to buy a DVD, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. In light of all of this HBO Max canceling films, canceling digital series, there's been this push of like, we need to have physical media again. And I didn't really feel that way until we couldn't watch Crossroads. And now I'm like, yes, we must invest in DVDs. (laughs) But why isn't it on a streamer? Wouldn't everyone watch it right now? If it was just suggested for you. You'd be like, fuck it. Surely you'd be like, fuck it. There are some films, and they're usually very popular bad films, you cannot find streaming. Showgirls is another one of them. Oh, really? Yeah, that is a DVD-only film. Wow, that's nuts. We will do that at some point. (sighs) Will we? (laughs) Who am I saying? It's one of my favorite films, but I do... Always find it interesting when it's shown the outdoor cemetery screenings or any fun public place because kind of the pent ultimate sequence of Showgirls is some is a woman getting gang raped. Yeah, you always <laughs> think it's a fun, campy movie until that scene comes on and it completely <laughs> destroys the mood. Anyway, we decided to watch Practical Magic, and I was like, that's great. It's always on HBO Max. It's a Warner Brothers film. I go to HBO Max. It's no longer there. (laughs) Yeah, I rented it from Amazon. I bought it, because why not? You made the smart choice. As if I don't watch this movie every three years, at least. Three years? I thought you were going to say three months. No, I think I watch it every few years. I will say that I was like, this is one of my favorite films. This is a part of my personality. 
And then I realized, like, if you put a gun to my head and were like, what is practical magic about? I'm like, I every time <laughs> I venture to watch this, I'm like, what is the plot of this film? It's a film that's just built on vibes and, like, a great soundtrack. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It's all about vibes. I think it's because Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are so compelling as actors, obviously, as are Stockard Channing and, and Diane Weiss. Diane Weiss? Isn't it Weiss? I've heard it pronounced as Weiss. Guys, it's the podcast. You know, know. we're not going to say yeah, anything. I don't fucking right. know. They're fabulous. I also think there's something really appealing for me anyway about this sort of alternative familial structure that they have and the fact that they're all just kind of like outcasts in this little coastal town you know yeah I also think another reason that we like this film is our boy Akiva Goldsmith is the screenwriter of this film he was also the screenwriter of A Time to Kill oh wow he is the man who won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind but also wrote Batman and Robin so I think Batman and Robin was better than A Beautiful Mind personally but that's just me (laughs) But you mentioned the soundtrack. The soundtrack is so much of it. And it really is that kind of music that I would qualify as VH1 only. Because it's a mix of sort of post-Lilith Fair stuff and then like pop country. And VH1 was the only place that played those music videos. And the stuff that your mom listened to who drove you to Lilith Fair. Right. Like that's where the Joni Mitchell comes in. (laughs) Yeah. Just being in your mom's station wagon while she plays a case of you. Yeah. Also, Stevie Nicks' involvement in this project is incredible. She looms large in this film. Yeah, this is a magic era. We've spoken about this on the podcast before of soundtracks, specifically Warner Brothers films. Like Batman Forever was theirs. This is theirs. Uh, City of Angels, a personal favorite (laughs) movie soundtrack. There's some tonal similarities with City of Angels, I think, in Practical Magic. Or maybe it's just those shots where, like, people die and then fruit rolls on the ground. (laughs) You are correct. Yes, you are right. Meg Ryan and the pears. I think it was apples in Practical Magic. Yeah. Well, you know, the witch subtext. (laughs) Or not even subtext. Text. Also, you forget that this was a weird time in Stevie Nicks because, or was it a weird time? It was kind of her comeback because the year before she had done like, it was kind of her comeback because Fleetwood Mac performed at Clinton's inauguration, right? Right. Reunited for that. Then she kind of pieced out and then Fleetwood Mac reunited for the dance, the incredible concert film. And that was the year before this. So she was still kind of on an upswing from that. Well, speaking of VH1, this is also 1998 is like the heyday of Behind the Music. So definitely in 1998, Fleetwood Mac was participating in their Behind the Music. Oh, yeah. I for sure watched that. Should we start talking about the film or should we just sure. keep talking about the soundtrack? <laughs> I, could, I could do a whole episode on the soundtrack, which actually I listened to on the way here in the car just <laughs> to get myself in the mood. And it's not you don't want to actually listen to it. Like, you want the songs in the film. You don't want to actually listen to the songs from the film in sequence. Like, the Stevie Nicks songs are amazing. There's obviously great songs, but then, like, the score interrupts it. Yeah, you don't want to listen to Alan Silvestri's score. 
Which, Although it is delightful. It is delightful, but a late addition as there was a completely different composer's music in the film and at the last second. Hello, IMDb. Here yeah, to yeah, give yeah, you yeah. facts. I can tell you you checked IMDb. But at the last second, the studio was like, it's too European and conceptual and got Alan Sil- Silvestri. I would love to hear the, the lost score. It was getting put in a CD and sent to stores and they had to pull it back. Whoa. So there you go. That's crazy. So question for you about the logic of the film. <laughs> Does the curse not work if an Owens woman is a lesbian? That is a good point. Because it's very male-centric. I think if they made Practical Magic now, Nicole Kidman's character would be a lesbian. A bisexual, at the very least. Yeah. Well, don't be rude. <laughs> I'm just saying, I want, I want me some Goran Vizhnik in the film still, or whoever yeah. the modern-day equivalent of that would be. Also, it seems that her spell mutated and became a curse, because she's like, look. Okay. <laughs> we have to back this up. Okay. I always forget how this movie starts. This film has four different openings and three endings. (laughs) It really has three endings, but it actually opens with this idyllic seaside execution. (laughs) If you're going to be murdered by puritanical assholes, at least have it be in a beautiful seaside setting. Right, which is an unnamed Massachusetts island town, which is actually the San Juan Islands of Washington State. Yeah, but it's supposed to be on the East Coast. And their great aunt, what's her face? Their great-great-grandmother? Whatever. She was a witch. They tried to hang her. When she jumped, (laughs) the rope snapped. In the voiceover, they explained that she had a habit of fucking other women's husbands. Right. They were setting the stage for the Nicole Kidman character. Right. And when they couldn't kill her, they put her on an island, and she thought one of the men who had impregnated her would come back for her. But spoiler alert, he did not. So she cast a spell, and she was like, I never want to feel this pain again. I never want to love anyone ever again. Which I'm like, same boo, I got you. But somehow in this witch world, spells can mutate. And then it became, oh, if, you, if the Owens women love men too much, they'll just die at a certain point. Yeah, like why didn't you just cast a spell that you would never experience the pain of heartbreak? That's what she did. And then it was like, then somewhere later in the stalker chanting voiceover, it's like, uh, and then now like men die if you love them too much. Which... Again, I say, none of these Owens women are lesbians? Well, we don't know what's going on with Diane Weiss. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So then modern day, relatively modern day, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock's mother love their father so much. He died. And then they really cleverly gloss over the fact that she killed herself. Where did she go? Because the two children just arrive at Diane Weiss's soccer Channing's house. Oh, I thought she abandoned them. I didn't think she killed herself. Well, she killed herself? They never explicitly say it, but the two girls, when they're little, say to Stalker Channing or Diane Weiss, it's like, is that what happened to mommy? Did she die of a broken heart? I'm like, oh, this bitch definitely killed herself. <laughs> that definitely Jesus. Tell a child. <laughs> oh, that's upsetting. 
I can't believe I never put two and two together. Thank you for that. Also, these Owens women are historically emo. It's like killing yourself over a man? No, no, no. To be fair, well, actually, no, you can't kill yourself if you have kids. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I feel that I would not uh, do that. I would like to think I did, would not do that if I had a child. But it's an, it's an interesting thread of feminism because... This film feels very feminist, although it's not. What do you mean? It, it is. Sure, it has a happy romantic ending, but right. I think it's a feminist film for sure. But these women are just like, I can't survive without this dude. <laughs> Even yeah. though we have the power to cast love spells, evidently. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> We're talking about the second or third opening before this film can even start, which is, I think we're at Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock being teenagers. Right. <laughs> but they're like in their 30s. <laughs> That's the funniest part. It's sort of like uh, in Little Women when Florence Pugh is just surrounded by a bunch of 11-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> also... When we meet them in their teenage life, Nicole Kidman, being the rebellious one, is running away with her boyfriend. And Sandra Bullock, being the goody two-shoes, is like, don't leave. And Nicole's like, I promise I'll come back. We'll grow old together. We'll die at the same time. And we'll do this blood oath. Which is very violent, might I say. Oh, I thought you were going to say, should we do a blood oath? I mean, no, we definitely shouldn't do a blood oath she got a pocket knife and just cut open both of their hands. Like, it wasn't like, let's prick our fingers or let's just nick ourselves. It was like real violence against one's body. I think when I first saw this, I was kind of shocked because I grew up during the AIDS epidemic and it was like, <laughs> do not swap fluids under any circumstances. Sandra Bullock, you don't know who Nicole Kidman has been fucking. What are you doing? <laughs> Also, in this world of witchery, I guess cutting your hand is how you get the uh, the shine, the shining. Because evidently, like, through this cut, they can see where the other is at different points in this film. Oh, I thought they just had that because they were sisters. I don't... Again, the, <laughs> look... I Many things are not explained. <laughs> I love this film. I love witchcraft. <laughs> the rules of this film never explained. Yeah, and we should note that this film was critically panned and a box office failure. I was shocked when I went to go rent it. It was like 23% Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, this film is glorious. <laughs> and then I started to watch it this time and I was like, what's happening in this film exactly? You're right. We connect to the vibes more than the story. I think we connect to the production design more than anything else. <laughs> Well, yeah, should we get into that now? I mean, the house is the third character, <laughs> right? So it's it's in front of Stalker Channel and Diane Weiss. <laughs> Almost, yeah. Yeah. The, the house is a force of nature. And the most heartbreaking thing for, I'm sure if you're listening to this episode, you have also researched, I want to go to that Massachusetts town and visit that house. It doesn't exist. They constructed the exterior on San Juan Island in Washington State to film exteriors, and then they tore it down. Which, you know, in a world of IP and comic book films and everything's a cinematic universe, you know the cinematic universe I want? The Practical Magic Extended Universe. <laughs> Me too. And guess what? It's based on a book. And she's still writing a series of these books. Like a few years ago, she published a book about the mom character. Hmm. 
Yeah, I never read the book, but everyone that read the book did not like the movie. Like, I remember watching it with my mom. Like, we went to the theater and saw it, and she was like, it's just not as good as the book. Well, another thing that I saw on IMDb, so this film is directed by Griffin Dunn, who directed the other production design vibe film, but critically panned, Addicted to Love. Right. Son of Dominique Dunn. Yes. uh, Sibling of... That chick that was murdered. Dominique Dunn. Yeah. His aunt is Joan Didion, who I'm But sure- Joan Didion is not his mother. No, but he did do a documentary on her. Right. I don't, I'm going to assume Joan Didion did not like this film. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that she would. Yeah. But maybe she would, she'd appreciate elements of it. But the house, the house wasn't actually real because they built the house on like a mass grave. <laughs> what? Yes. Like, indigenous burial ground so they couldn't actually dig so they had to build like a platform and then build the fake house on a platform well and also the fact that no house exists that looks like that well i don't know it's victorian right you're saying this because where you grew up where the film the love witch was filmed at there are many homes that look exactly like the home in practical magic yeah it's extreme victorian architecture it's like they made an insane house that kind of looks like a lighthouse or something it's beautiful and one thing i really love is i remember hearing that barbara streisand saw this movie and (laughs) she literally called them and was like, I want to buy this house. And they were like, I'm so sorry. Like, it's not a real house. It's literally a shell. And then everything else was sound stages in Los Angeles. Yeah. So the it's a design duo named Roman and Williams. And they did the apartment design for the film Addicted to Love that Griffin Dunn directed. And then they did the production design for Practical Magic. And so I was looking around at what else they've done because I, like Barbara Streisand, I'm like, I want to crawl into this house and and live in here forever. Yeah. And they've done everything from designing Gwyneth Paltrow's Tribeca apartment. They did the production design for Zoolander. Oh, that's cool. And I'm looking at the, the homes that they've done and I go, that's weird. That house looks familiar. And I come to realize that a house that is by where I live that Ben Stiller used to live in, they designed from scratch to look like this 1930s bordello house that I always assumed was like a historical home from the 30s. That's insane. But they're geniuses. So of course they concocted that house from scratch. They are geniuses. They really are. Like, it's not my goal to live in a Victorian house, But I feel like if I moved into the Practical Magic House, you'd never move out. It's just too gorgeous. And there's it's kind of shabby chic, but I guess it's a little more gothic because they're witches and stuff. Yeah, they would eat a, what's her name? The shabby chic lady alive. Yeah. It's kind of like John Darian vibes. Yeah. So anyway, the house is exquisite. I think we're at the place where Sandra Bullock meets her husband. Right. Did you clock who this actor is? No. The actor Mark Fernstein it plays her future husband, and he is the guy that could never get Miranda off in season two. They shoot single people, don't oh, they? Oh, amazing. Yes. So she's the one who's like trying to teach him to fuck better, and then finally she can't take it anymore, and 
fakes an orgasm. Very cool. Yeah, she basically sees this guy in the street and immediately falls in love with him. And then Faith Hill's This Kiss (laughs) plays. It is really, really cheesy. It was cheesy at the time. It's fine. It's... Yeah. <laughs> I I love this cheese. It makes me think that I might look look good in a in a knit top and hunter boots and cut off jeans and I can just run into town <laughs> to the arms of the love of my life. And Applemonger, what exactly does he do? <laughs> yeah, he just is constantly delivering boxes of apples to his own peril. Yeah. So anyway, so this is sort of the fourth opening of the film. We've <laughs> We've now cut ahead. She's married. She's happy. She's no longer getting bullied by the townspeople. Right. But because she's normal. Right. Yeah, because she's in like a heteronormative relationship, <laughs> unlike her aunts and Nicole Kidman. Yes. And then we briefly see that Nicole Kidman is with uh, a hot guy played by the actor Gordon Vishnick. Well, when we get a glimpse into Nicole Kidman's world, because they contrast it with Sandra Bullock's, right? Right. In Sandra Bullock's world, she's married. She's raising her daughters. In Nicole Kidman's world, she's like hanging out in a bikini in a sarong at some pool party where there are no women. (laughs) Did you notice that? There's not one woman at this pool party. She is getting passed around by these guys at this pool party it's also super sus if i'm at a pool party in seemingly los angeles or some sort of southwestern state uh and there's a guy in leather pants and a leather vest yeah not a short among anyone anyway she she hears the the death rattle of the beetle which somehow in this spell has become the omen yeah which, ba- instead of telling her husband, hey, hey, don't fucking leave the house today, she decides to pull up all the baseboards to try to find this thing and murder it. I know. Instead of, I don't know, creating a spell that's like a uh, beetle deadius. <laughs> Actually, we don't even know how their spells work. I just adopted a sort of what little I know of Harry Potter. Their spells work because they like look at that old book that they have that's their spell book and then they go into the conservatory and like put make little tinctures and shit yeah that's how they do their spells i hear you but the image of sandra bullock like pulling up the floorboards i think is one of the most vivid and memorable scenes in this entire movie that and just the gaggle of bicyclists yeah that's always terrifying i mean if if 20 of anything is racing towards you it's scary Right. So the psych out is that we we know that the husband is about to die and he gets caught in all of these bicyclists and then he gets hit by a semi. He doesn't hear coming. (laughs) That reminds me of like the beginning of every episode of SVU (laughs) where they do a psych out where it's like you think this little girl's going to be kidnapped or something. And then like someone finds a dead body in the bushes nearby. Right. And then that kid goes, mommy. (laughs) Dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah. Now the film can finally begin because Sandra Bullock (laughs) and her two children, her red hair and brunette daughters Move in with Stalker Channing and Diane Weist. Yeah. Evan Rachel Wood, sensational as a child actor. She really has the it factor. She really does look like a tiny Nicole Kidman. It's amazing. Well, they dyed each of their hair that 
just beautiful flaming orange hair. We were speaking about this on, on the podcast earlier, which is this is the original golden era, ironically, of red-haired Nicole Kidman. Yeah, it's perfect. Griffin Dunn said that he had issues directing Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman because Sandra Bullock would be fine in two or three takes. But Nicole Kidman had just come off of shooting Eyes Wide Shut mm-hmm. and was used to doing 50 to like 70 takes with Kubrick. Yikes. <laughs> Could you imagine? She's like, no, no, no. I got to shimmying for 50 takes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we got it, Nicole. Uh, so her husband dies. Her husband dies and she thinks that the root cause is is magic. So she doesn't want her children to know any magic, but they seem all to know a little bit of magic. Yeah, they all are witches. It's also revealed that her aunts cast a love spell upon her and that guy. So they didn't even really love each other anyway. No, they did. Except they ultimately did because that's why he died. Yeah, basically the ants were like, we just wanted you to get some dick. We didn't think you would actually (laughs) fall in love with him. Yeah. So she's very emo yet again, but unlike her mother, she does not meet an untimely demise or abandons them. Again, we don't know what happened to this mother. She just gets depressed, as you would if your husband died, and kind of like doesn't want to get out of bed. And they each each touch the, the scar on their hand. And, and they, the they scar see. kind of like talks to them. <laughs> and then Nicole Kidman's like, shit, I got to go home. And so she goes on some like epic solo road trip listening to Joni Mitchell. Also, she wants this guy, Jimmy, played by Goran Viznik, who's like baby Lauren's list of obscure crushes. He's definitely on there because of this film. And I did spend like seven years watching ER, which is was his gig after this show. Hmm. But anyway, she wants him, and then he's instantly obsessed with her, giving me a bit Pete Davidson vibes. And so she has to give him Belladonna so that he just falls asleep so that she can go and see her sister for a day. Yeah. I kind of had this sense that she was just giving him Belladonna regularly so she could, like, get some sleep because he constantly wanted to fuck her. Which, fair. And also is giving me Pete Davidson vibes. Yeah, it's established that she's dating this guy and, like, they're having, like, kinky sex because he blindfolds her and then they play some sort of fake sneaker pimps ported head type (laughs) song. (laughs) Seems pretty cool. Look, it all starts out good and fun and then he's trying to brand you in the back of a car. (laughs) Yeah, he's very Army Hammer vibes. Again, I forgot how much movie happens before the movie begins. So Nicole Kidman leaves before Sandra Bullock really wakes up. So it all feels very dreamy. And then Sandra Bullock is in her feelings and writing her sister a letter and is like, maybe I shouldn't love. Maybe I had my love. Anyway, there's a circle in the moon. We know that means bad shit. Anyway. And then she gets, again, they have, they get the shine again. And she's like, you're in trouble. I gotta go. Yeah, it is actually really confusing. Apologies to everyone listening to this. What, our description of the film? The film itself is kind of illogical. Like, why did she just come to visit her for, like, a few hours? She drove all night. Right. After her sister's husband dies. It's just, like, weird. These are things that I'm sure make more sense in the book. Yeah, maybe. These are several chapters, I'm sure, dedicated to each. So... 
Sandra Bullock goes to send this letter to her, her sister, and then the phone rings, and she instantly knows that it's her sister calling. Right. On an old-timey 1930s phone, because of course. And uh, she picks up the phone, and Nicole Kidman needs needs her to be saved, and so she catches a flight the next morning, and wouldn't you know it, she's at a motel. She's at some seedy motel. She looks like she's in a Nan Golden photo. This guy is obviously beating her up. Yes, because they were in a donut shop and he wanted a jelly donut with whipped cream and he thought jelly was a type of cream and the kid was laughing and she was laughing and then he punched her in the face. And that's like, again, I forgot so much about what the actual plot of the film is. And it's like, okay, you're going to rescue your sister. She sees that it's not only there's a circle around the moon, it's a blood moon. So she needs her protective necklace, which she's put in the car. Uh, She goes in the car, and wouldn't you know it, Jimmy's been waiting, question mark, in the backseat? Passed down the backseat? Yeah. And then kind of a hostage situation begins happening where Sandra Bullock has to drive them. Nicole Kibben's in the backseat. Yeah, and he has a gun, right? It's confusing because you don't see it, but presumably there's some there's something like silver underneath her neck. When yeah, Sandra he has Bullock, a knife or something. Yeah. More importantly, he's telling a story about Louis L'Amour and is lighting his the ring that he has on his finger and is about to brand Nicole Kidman. Yeah. To which she uses that as an excuse to grab the ball of liquor he's drinking and put a shit ton of belladonna in it just so he can pass out. Yeah, so they can like flee and like not be murdered. Again, we love this film. We've watched it many times. We're going to have fun sort of picking apart the illogical things about it. It then cuts to him pissing. Why don't they just take Drive off? away. Yes. I know. I know. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, wait, they pulled over? They're allowing this man to piss for an extended amount of time. He gets back in the car. They wonder why he won't pass out. And then he begins choking Nicole Kidman to the point that he just falls asleep on top of her. Because he's been poisoned. And then they realize he's dead. I forgot that the plot of this film is them accidentally killing a man. And then I also forgot that Nicole Kidman wants him alive again. I thought they used magic to bury him. I forgot that Nicole Kidman is like, I want him back. I love him so much. No, she just wants him back so they don't have to like cover up a murder. No, she's like, I love him so much. That's the bizarre thing is at no point is Sandra Bullock like, this is a really toxic relationship. Well, she's in an abusive relationship. For with sure. This hyper-controlling, violent guy. Right. Because when... Sandra Bullock's husband dies. She goes to the ants and is like, hey, you guys know dark magic. You, you're very powerful. You can bring someone dead back to life. And they're like, yeah, but it's dark. You don't want that. Right. So they bring him back to life. Briefly. He is a zombie. He then immediately starts attacking Nicole Kidman. So Sandra Bullock then actually does have to murder him with a, uh, with a frying cast- pan. Yeah, with a frying pan, a cast iron pan. And now they have to bury a body, which, why wouldn't you use magic to help cover up murder? (laughs) They just bury him in the backyard with their bare hands. Yeah. I don't know. One thing I like about this movie is the fact that 
they never go overboard with the magic. You kind of forget that they are witches until there's one of those scenes where Sandra Bullock is like stirring her tea right. or her coffee and like she moves her hand and it just keeps going. But I think it's nice how understated it is. It packs more punch that way. And you can just convince yourself that this is just a really aesthetically pleasing Dateline episode about two <laughs> sisters that commit murder. Yeah. It was self-defense. Depending on how much you trust law enforcement, <laughs> you would think that if she was like, we've been kidnapped at knife point. Yeah. We had no choice but to poison this man. Also, if you went to a cop and you're like, we're witches, we poisoned him with Belladonna, they'd be like, ha ha, whatever. He died of a heart <laughs> attack. Bye. See you, ladies. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like one of those situations where it's like, I think you could have gotten away with this. Like, I get how in Thelma and Louise, they were like, we just got to go. Yeah. But this, I feel like they could have talked their way out of it. And if not, don't they have magic to convince the, the people that they didn't murder this guy? I'm saying magic to do worse things in life. Also, depending on what the plot needs... Stalker Channing and Diane Weist are in and out of this movie. They're going to witch conferences. They're piecing the fuck out. They're wearing giant floppy hats. Well, their styling is all outfits that I'm pretty sure Kathy Bates wore in Titanic. <laughs> which I think is to give the impression that these women are potentially hundreds of years old. I don't know if they're hundreds of years old. They're just like, I feel like that's just how a lot of spinsters were styled. In the 90s and early 2000s, like even like Ruth from Six Feet Under. Right. Is wearing those big floppy hats and shit. A floppy hat and an almost lace doily shawl. Also, I feel like a lot of older women, like where I grew up in Humboldt County, fully dressed like that. It's about like just like loose, fluid, like waterfall cardigans and handkerchief hem something and a giant floppy hat and just, just a, like very a, fluid yeah a victorian chico's look <laughs> yeah exactly anyway they, they left and then they came back and they have the kids with them and they're happy that nicole kidman is back and for some reason nicole kidman and sandra bullock have vowed not to tell the aunts what happened even though they seem totally if, Chill. Yeah, they seem like they'd be down with murdering ex-lovers. Also, I'm surprised when they buried Jimmy that they didn't find the skeletons of, like, Stalker Channing's lovers. Yeah, totally. There are definitely dead bodies in that backyard. Yeah, I agree. We haven't talked about Sandra Bullock's store, That's which I, I feel like just... is a very important part of this film. And an important millennial fantasy, yes. which is moving to a small town and opening like a Kiehl's type store. Obviously, we saw that play out quite literally in Schitt's Creek, <laughs> which I, I believe that the Rose Apothecary was inspired oh, by, by yeah. this store in Practical Magic, although we don't know what it's called. The store is called Verbena. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it's fabulous, and Margot Martindale works there, as does the chick that plays Nancy in Sid and Nancy. What is the economics of this store? That it's There are hardly any customers, but she's able to support two full-time employees. Yeah, it's kind of weird because apparently everyone in the town hates her and thinks she's a witch. 
So why would they shop there? Well, we learn in one scene that uh, that she not only sells shampoo and soap, but lotions and potions that solve very specific problems. Yeah. But to kick it back to Shit's Creek, it's like how many people in small towns would shop in like a Kiehl's in the town? Right. Like, like I never understood how the Rose Apothecary was successful in Shit's Creek because like... That's something that's for city people. Well, I think about a town like Idlewild, which is up in the hills above Palm Springs, and that's like a very touristy vacation weekend town. Yeah, so maybe that's what their town is. More importantly, Sandra Bullock needs to get to a PTA meeting because it's phone tree day. I still don't understand the phone tree. And why would you need to cycle through people? I... the phone tree, which comes into this plot later in this... Quite iconically, yeah, yeah, in this yeah. film. I think the idea is if something happens within the school, like a kid has chicken pox or something, that the mom at the top of the tree calls down? I don't know. I didn't have this. It's like multi-level marketing. <laughs> it's like the first mom calls like two people and then they call like four people and then it... Just goes down and down and down until wow. everyone's notified. So the mom at the top of the tree has the best job. She only has to call one person and just multiplies. I guess. Anyway, the more iconic thing in this scene is Nicole Kidman crashing it and saying, Hang, Hang on, on to, to your, your husbands, husbands, girls. I'm back. Because presumably she like blew all of their boyfriends <laughs> in high school. I do... I mean, you grew up in a small town. I grew up in a city. But I do have this sort of fantasy of like, oh, yeah, you grow up in a town, you stay in the town, you marry the same people. It's very exotic to me. <laughs> it's. I don't think it's that exotic. I know. I'm sure it's not. It works for some people, for sure. But I don't know if it would work for you necessarily. But if you could use magic, why wouldn't you do petty shit like this? Like having a woman slap herself, making your, yourself the head of the phone tree. Yeah, I love when they use their magic to do fun, stupid shit. Yeah. They really should make a practical magic reboot in the spirit of a league of their own, <laughs> right? Also, now Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock like could be the stalkered Channing Diane Weiss characters. Even though they look exactly the same as they do in this film, it's, it's actually pretty fucked up. <laughs> it is fucked up, actually. No time has passed at all. Evan Rachel Wood could come back as the daughter. I just think it has the potential to be spun out into something else. And clearly we're obsessed with the house. They just bring the house back. Yeah, and then and then what we really want is they could have a Instagram photo opportunity with the house. Oh, yeah. Ugh, amazing. I mean, look. Warner Brothers is struggling right now. They only have enough money to release two movies this year. I'm just saying, if they built like a Britney Spears in the zone experience, but with practical magic, I think people would be really into it. All right. Now, now we get into what I've just dubbed in my notes, the tequila scene. Midnight margaritas. To which I'm like, how early do you guys go to bed? Well, also, I guess the, the cuts give them the shine for margaritas. Like, they just sense that margaritas are being made in the house. I think because they heard the blender and oh, okay. the, the Harry Nielsen song just blasting through the house. I don't know how the kids didn't wake up, but... Yeah. Also, I guess in this family, all sisters sleep in the same bed. I noticed that in that scene that the two girls are in bed together. Yeah. 
cute. According to Sandra Bullock in the commentary, in this scene where Jillian and Sally get drunk with their aunts and they sling insults, the actresses actually got drunk. They were drinking some very bad tequila that Nicole Kidman brought. I mean, Nicole, I know you're Australian, but why do you have to bring bad tequila? <laughs> uh, also, I love how in the music video for the Stevie Nicks song, <laughs> if you ever did believe, there's a scene where she's peering through the window and like they're in the kitchen. <laughs> That is, I do miss that in the, the music, vi well, one, we don't make music videos anymore, but music videos for movies where they would try to work in footage from the film into the music video. Yeah. I think this was never done more iconically than, which isn't footage, but when Michelle Pfeiffer just shows up in the Gangster's Paradise video, oh, yeah. <laughs> just pulls up a chair, she's like, lay it on me. <laughs> So good. I love Dangerous Minds. Ugh. I need to watch that again. So I'm sorry, the, the tequila bottle has come back to haunt them? I guess it's like magically come up through the ground or something. Yeah, because they asked the ants where they got the bottle from and they're like, it was at the front door. I just love this scene. It makes me so happy. I love any sort of like sing-along. A sing-along and just women hurling relatively non-hurtful insults to each other yeah also just the fact that they're just waking up to binge drink in the <laughs> middle of the night i always did get the sense that the tequila is haunted and is making them way drunker than they would normally be right so the ants know that something's up and yet again nicole kidman and sandra bullock won't tell them what happened so they're like peace you have to figure out your own shit but then they put they wrap their grandnieces in like rope they put rope around their neck like to protect them or something anyway Which they need it because you know their mom has buried some rando in the yard and now this whole ass rose bush is growing and there's giant magnolia frogs just like jumping out from the bush at all times his cowboy boots are appearing up from the ground so now we have the introduction of aiden quinn who's who's that oh the, the police cop. officer right don't care about him i'm like get out of this movie i like that it's all women i don't need this energy in practical magic anyway it turns out this jimmy guy is a real bad dude he likes branding women and then murdering them yeah and Sandra Bullock suddenly feels like she can't lie to him, which is really weird. And then Nicole Kidman's angle of handling this is just like flirting with him really hard and giving him like a non-consensual palm reading. <laughs> you can handle a lot, but you're not here for non-consensual touching of hands and reading about past lives. No. Um, as someone who's really into true crime, where is this officer's warrant? He doesn't need a warrant to question them. He's not searching their house. He's gone into their house. They invited him in because they wanted to steer him away from the roses and the body that's like rising from the earth. And presumably this is days, if not a week after they buried Jimmy. They didn't get rid of his car. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> They truly put no effort into covering up this crime at all. Wasn't Stockard Shanning like, whose car is that? 
At one, they give us, as an audience, the out we need of like, well, this guy is a murderer and presumably was going to murder Nicole Kidman if they didn't murder him first. But then they make them such sloppy criminals (laughs) that it's hard to root for them. (laughs) It's true. So after the frog burps up his ring... Uh, Did that happen in this scene? That didn't happen. Okay, just, yeah. sorry. Um, so so the, the detective thinks they're a little sus, because right? Because they are. Because they're incredibly sus. So he questions everyone in the town and is like, who are these bitches? And everyone's <laughs> like, they're witches. They're crazy. To which he's like, well, that doesn't help me. This is where we get the scene. A scene I did not understand when I was 10 years old watching this film in the theater where there's a guy complaining about a lotion he's bought from Sandra Bullock's character and that he came to her when he could have gone to a doctor and it doesn't work. He keeps applying it to his head and it doesn't work. And she goes, think about that. And she meant his dickhead for erectile dysfunction issues. That's what's happening. That's how she makes the real money. She's like, whatever, these candles, the shampoo, but I will fix your dick if you give me $35. Yeah, there's this interesting tension in the movie because everyone in the town hates them, but they rely on the witches for different things, right? Like earlier in this film, we see some woman that is having an affair with some married guy that that comes to Stockard Shanning and Diane Weiss and is like, make him fall in love with me or whatever. And it's really dark, actually. It's, <laughs> yeah, that part They is... murder a pigeon with like a, <laughs> a long needle. Actually, they make the woman murder the pigeon, which I kind of like that. It's like, look, if we're going to do this, you need to get your hands dirty as well. They're the... like, oh, we got to get a dove. Like they just have... <laughs> Get the dove. The more surprising thing in that scene is she just gives them a crumpled up amount of dollar bills. I'm like, surely this is 50 to to $100 to do a love spell that's going to break up someone's marriage? Yeah, they should charge 300 for pigeon murders. I mean, there are women on Etsy that will do sketches of your supposed soulmate for like $500. So they need to be up in their, uh, their raids. Wait, what? Yes. What, what does that mean? Like, how do they know what your soulmate looks like? It almost sounds like it's a grift to Chelsea. <laughs> They're like, I'm, a, I'm an artistic psychic and I will draw you who your soulmate is. Wow. Should we do it? Oh, see, okay. That would be funny for you to see if they draw someone that looks like Tat. Oh, I guarantee they wouldn't. I know. That's the problem. Like anytime, like when you're a straight passing gay person, anytime you go to a psychic, they tell you that you're going to be with like, this is your dream man or whatever, which is why I just don't go to psychics. Honestly, it's not that expensive. So maybe maybe the uh, aunt's love spell was a correct price. Oh yeah, it's like $20. Let's do this right now. <laughs> wow, this person that has 7,000 reviews, like that's not a great drawing. I mean, no. And that guy looks like a date rapist. Okay, sorry. So... This is when Aiden Quinn asks her about the devil and Sandra Bullock goes, there's no devil in the craft. And I just want to say that like the Wiccan descended bath line pipeline <laughs> of like people who consider themselves Wiccans and people that also make candles is like a direct line. Yeah, no, it's it's totally true. Also, have you ever been to the witch museum in Salem? Yeah, I have not. 
It's really, really funny. The one time I went there, I went with my friend Claire. and We were really, really stoned, which I think made the experience better because first they show you this like really elaborate diorama explaining <laughs> the Salem witch trials, which was pretty sick. But then they take you into this room where there's just like mannequins. Then some like disgruntled, pimply teenage tour guide goes up to the mannequin and presses a button and it's like, this is like the Hollywood witch. She's going to tell you her story. So it's like every kind of witch explains like their vibe. And one of them is like modern day Wiccans. And I actually remember just crying and losing my shit because I thought it was so funny. Part of my family lives in Massachusetts and one of my cousins lives in Salem. And I think thanks to, unfortunately, the internet and social media witch tourism in salem especially in the fall is like fucking crazy yeah i'm sure god they're when pocus pocus 2 comes out they're really gonna be slammed actually it's better we're doing this movie now because in october we'll be covering hocus pocus uh so now we get i think the other iconic scene in this film which is the pancake scene is that iconic to anyone? I don't know. It's like, what do you mean? The That's like such a non-iconic scene. He comes over. Nicole Kidman explains that in one of the 17 openings of this film, which we forgot to cover, Sandra Bullock, because she never wanted to fall in love, cast a spell on a and created a man that was just too impossible to actually exist. But what were his qualities aside from having one blue eye and one green eye? He had a keen sense of justice, which is why he's a cop. She I mean, I think mm. she, I think she says she'll never be able to t- tell a lie. That's why she feels compelled to tell him the truth. Okay, that explains that. So Nicole Kidman's way of getting out of this is murdering the cop with maple syrup, with laced maple syrup. She wasn't going to murder him. She just was going to cast a spell where he just went away which is like why didn't you do that to your fucking boyfriend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well nicole kimmon is a bit of a dilettante so she needs evan rachel wood to actually cast this spell don't you think that nicole kidman though in this film is just like so cool like oh God, yeah so cool like i remember when i first saw this movie i was like i want to be exactly like her yeah who even doesn't... though she was like some like reckless like deadbeat slut but like at the time it seemed fab goals yeah it's still pretty cool so anyway the the daughters are are down to have a new daddy because they find the spell that sandra bullock wrote when she was a child creating the perfect man and Nicole Kidman has to be like yeah that wasn't about your father that was about some like other guy and then they realize that he has all of those qualifications and they seem particularly obsessed with the fact that he can flip perfectly flip cactus shaped pancakes that is a good quality to have oh okay I think well that's on my list of perfect <laughs> men that's why I haven't met him yet is yet to find that gentleman who can perfectly flip a cactus shaped pancake I also want him to have David Bowie eyes. David Bowie what? had one oh, eye one that was guy. a different oh, yeah. color than the other. You're right. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce what that condition is actually called. Looking hot? <laughs> Being devastatingly handsome? Yeah. Being really, really cool. Which Aiden Quinn is not in this film, okay? A-cab. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All Seriously, ca- A-cab. <laughs> All cops are bastards. He's just like, not that hot, not that charismatic. You know what he has? Deep Aiden Shaw energy. Mm-hmm. This is if Aiden Shaw was a cop in Arizona. 
But yeah, if Aiden was a cop, it also his desire for justice, I guess, as you said, or for following the law, which is like what all cops are like obsessed with. And it's like, okay, why? It reminds me of Matthew McConaughey's cop character in (laughs) Boys on the Side, who who is also like that. Not to be confused with Matthew McConaughey's lawyer character that's obsessed with justice in a time to kill or his... (laughs) His cop character from True Detective with a interesting sense of justice and redemption. <laughs> but actually, Matthew McConaughey's character in Boys on the Side is not that... It's a, it's a similar situation to Practical Magic because it's a domestic violence situation <laughs> that is escalated into the victim murdering the perpetrator. But in the case of Boys on the Side, he actually turns her in and she goes to jail. <laughs> A cab. I mean, this is Aiden Quinn's dilemma as well, where he's like, I kind of want to fuck you, but honestly, if you were just, if you lied a little bit better, I wouldn't feel <laughs> to keep digging into this court case. And this is when uh, there's just a, as you said, a magnolia frog that coughs up <laughs> Jimmy's ring, which again, it's like, Obviously, these women have not watched uh, Colombian drug lord documentaries. Like, you cut off his fingers. You cut off the extremities. You didn't take (laughs) identifying markers like his ring. You kept the car. I'm sorry. Again, ACAB, but he should arrest you. You guys are bad criminals, and you have witchcraft on your side. Seriously. Also, it's not like you guys live in a major city. Surely you could bury him somewhere other than your house. You mean the sea? The (laughs) sea that's right there. (laughs) Yeah, surely you know someone with a boat? You can Dexter this shit. No, just heave ho that body over the ridge of your house. Surely you can find some like old crumbling bricks in the house that you can like weigh that shit down with. Yeah. Or weigh him down with magic. (laughs) just saying so this is our all is lost moment where Aiden Quinn yet again is like you ladies need a uh, need a lawyer and then he leaves and then Sandra Bullock is like I'm gonna tell him okay I'm gonna tell him she has her Julianne Moore yeah why are you delivering it like that (laughs) I feel compelled to I can't lie to him I gotta tell him okay (laughs) I sucked on the men's cocks I killed that man and bur- <laughs> I killed that man and buried him in my yard. <laughs> He's buried in the yard. <laughs> I made a spell calling to you. Um <laughs> What is she confessing? We gave him Belladonna and he overdosed. Case closed. Yeah, he kidnapped us. Yeah, I mean when you dig up the body, you will find blunt force trauma from when you hit him with a frying pan. I guess a coroner would be able to figure out that that was done after the body died. I mean, what are our options here? But that's a crime in and of itself. I don't think it's the same weight as murder. Yeah, desecrating a dead body. Well, what's interesting is they don't go the route that witchcraft is mental illness. Because Aiden Quinn is absorbing everything she's saying as if like, okay, ma'am, okay, you know, witchcraft. That's something that exists in this world. Instead of like, you need help. I'm going to 5150 you. <laughs> that's nice, though. <laughs> he's, a, he's a thoughtful officer of the law. 
but then he fully makes out with her. It's like, wait, where is where is your line of justice? Because you're like, I gotta bring you in, and I gotta stick my tongue down your throat. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's also read this letter. We haven't brought this up, but he admits that he's read this letter that Sandra Bullock wrote Nicole Kidman thousands of times. Right. And he's like, I feel like you wrote that letter to me. And I will say the like hopeless romantic in me, I will always love the cinematic trope of like, you're here and you don't know why. And it's because I sent for you. Like we have this deep connection. Right. That has existed even before we ever met. No, it is very romantic. For sure. I just don't want it with her and this guy. <laughs> I'm just not into him. If you could recast that role in 1998 terms, who would you cast? James Spader? No. Even like Russell Crowe would have been oh, better. And- you know, it's kind of the same vibe, but hotter. Right. A year after L.A. Confidential. Yeah, L.A. Confidential it. era. I think... Ooh, or uh, Guy Pierce, A little swishy. <laughs> I think we need someone a little more like Tom Selleck-y. Okay. You know? So you want more Tom of Finland is what you're saying. Yeah, more Tom, yeah, Tom <laughs> of Finland-y. Exactly. But Sandra Bullock is like, look, another thing that I can't believe she doesn't get put in a mental institution for, she's like, look, we can't be together even though I invented you as a child because all the men in my family are cursed to die if they love me. So, like, peace out, boy. And then he quite rightly says, curses only have power when you believe in them. But this curse is actually, like, there's several (laughs) documented instances. It's very specific. You hear a beetle, like, it's not up for debate. Right. See, in our proposed Practical Magic TV series, there would be a scene like that. (laughs) No, you don't understand. (laughs) There's a literal beetle. So in the many things that don't make sense in this film, they buried him. Jimmy stuck in the spirit world and then, for reasons unknown, possesses Nicole Kidman? Yeah, how does that happen? Somewhere off screen. It really does feel like this film really unravels at this point in the movie. They bring it back at the very end. But when the bad CGI starts to be involved (laughs) in the weird exorcist shit, it's just it loses something for me anyway. Well, would you be interested to know that according to Akiva Goldsmith, the screenwriter, the director's (laughs) cut was a darker take on the material due to the marketing of Warner Brothers and extensive editing. It ended up being a different film. And then Goldsmith says he lost his copy of the original cut of the film. Well, what was the original cut? Like what happened? I don't know, but the film does ping from very dark topics to kind of whimsical fancy, which tonally I enjoy all of those things. No, same. This movie actually should be much darker than it is given the content, but it has like a light, warm quality that's just like, it feels like a warm bath. Like watching this movie for me, Oh yeah, it feels like, I'm in a warm bubble bath drinking a glass of wine. Like, that's how it makes me feel. And it's so lovely. And that's how this film makes me feel as well. And as I previously noted, I'm like, this is one of my favorite movies. But I realized watching it this time, as you like to say, this film has no stakes. Well, no, it has. The stakes are that if they go to prison for murdering this guy, 
then I guess the two little girls have to live with their aunts, which, yeah, you're right. There's no stakes. <laughs> also because it's like, all right, now the film has shifted again where Nicole Kidman is possessed and she licks her sister's face and is kind of incesty and like, all right. Yeah, but hot. At some point, Aiden Quinn comes in and Gordon Vishnick's character like rises out of Nicole Kidman. And so suddenly Aiden Quinn believes in in magic now but it's the weirdest thing because he's cgi right and it's like why didn't you just like put him in makeup and have him be like a real person because it looks so bad it looks like you know an early screensaver from you know like windows like in like 1994 right the technology was not there it's like jurassic park you know when you see the dinosaurs sorry luke but you know yeah as you said this is when the plot sort of begins collapsing so it's like he's out of nicole kidman's body but then he goes back in her body body. and then stalker channing and diane weiss come back just in time yeah and they're like okay we gotta like do this coven shit do you have any friends so Sandra Bullock calls the phone tree and is like, hey, guys, I'm a witch. Like, come over to my house so we can, like, do this exorcism with my, like, sister that, like, blew all your boyfriends in high school. Did you like the line that the uh, Nancy and Nancy says? She goes, Sally just came out. Yeah, I loved it. Very funny. She had to, though. You needed a... Well, they the accepted one. her once, she came, once they came out. Yes, and the, the bitchiest... The bitchiest woman of them all comes with a broom because she says, well, you know, I always wanted to see the inside of your house. It's like, that's a very, like... Low bar. <laughs> well, that's also, like, sh- like who would admit that? Oh, especially when you have the leg up where it's like, you need me to save your sister. Like, whenever I'm in someone's house that's like, I'm so curious what your house looks like, I would never be like, I would love to see what your house is <laughs> Like, you know, well, this is the confusing thing about the reality of this world. And I I love me some magical realism. And I would love to think that there were real witches living parallel, but they're being shunned because they think they're real witches and they're scared of their power or they don't think they're real witches and they're lying. No, they all think they're real witches. I don't think that's debatable. They're like giving people chicken pox. They're like doing all sorts of shit. They're doing scary love spells. I think it's the fact that they're also slutty. Right. That threatens. It's the fact that they're all like unmarried and like that threatens their sort of like institution and their community or whatever. I don't know. It seems lit. I'd want to be friends with all of them. (laughs) I guess that's the confusing part to me. I'd be like, I'd be besties. (laughs) I want to be a witch. Yeah. I want to live in this coastal grandmother town. Totally. And just wear like bias cut slip dresses with like little cardigans and shit. And like burnt velvet cutouts. (laughs) Yeah. 1000. Anyway, we're going off on all different points because it's like it is the climax of the film, but it's just they do a spell to get. Okay. No, you're skipping over something great. This is the best part because we get the montage of them preparing for the exorcism. Oh, and right. it's delightful. Right. Oh, this is when I realized the film had no stakes because it does go from like an exorcist-esque scary possession to like a fun jingly montage. Yeah. They're like making potions. People are coming over. They're bringing vacuums because they don't have brooms. Like it's just very whimsical. It's also like... Is she not fucking 
fucking dying? Are we not on a clock with Nicole Kidman <laughs> who's writhing in the next room? It's like Margot Martindale is like, you know, I uh, I heard my daughter crying across town once. And Diane Weiss is like, we all have a little bit of it in us. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. Is she not dying in the other room? What's happening? <laughs> so they do the chanting. Stockard Channing's chanting is so sexy to me. She's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. like, <laughs> it's hot. I've always had a thing for her, though, since Grace. Shocking. Obviously. Yeah. I didn't get that sense. <laughs> So they do the whole chanting thing. There's a really amazing aerial shot of whatever their broom circle. I don't know what to call it. This is a very well-directed film. Yeah. Griffin Dunn sort of crashed and burned as a director, I think because almost every film he made didn't make its money back. But I have to assume that this film easily made $50 million at Blockbuster in rentals. Like this film may have not done yeah, well Yeah, from in me and you alone. <laughs> Now it's made even more since you just bought it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's so, so good. I really think that someone needs to reboot this. Stop trying to remake Point Break or The Matrix or something. Yeah. Fucking make a series out of Practical Magic, I guarantee you. We're like Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill in Moneyball. We're like, we have the undervalued assets that will give you maximum results. No, it's so true because all you need is the house. And we could all assume that the characters that were Sandra Bullock's daughters at this point would be like, what, our age, something? Yeah. Yeah. So it could go indefinitely. There's just generations of witches living in this house. And now that the the business would be online and... <laughs> now, what's um what's Sandra Bullock's company called? Verbena. Verbena is like at Sephora now. It's Yeah. They have a whole ass empire. They're boss bitches. We're doing everything in our power not to talk about the ending. It's like they get it, they get the spirit out of her, but then they don't. So then Sandra Bullock has to like get in there and hold her hand and... They cut open their hands again. Why? It's like you guys already share the same bloodline. You're related. Like if me and you <laughs> swapped blood, that would be like a different thing, right? Right. Like we don't share that genetic makeup. The power of cuts in this world of witchcraft, it, it opens portals, realms. It allows the spirit world to, to leave you. Well, for whatever reason, not only does just the hand-cutting, sister-hand-holding thing exercise the demon, but it also breaks the curse. Yeah, they really throw that in at the end. Where the curse like, of the, the, the husband's dying. Yeah. yeah, the beetle curse. As we said, this film has four beginnings and three endings. Because <laughs> they kill the spirit, the Goran Vizhnik spirit. Then Aiden Quinn comes back... And they have a breakup. Right. Then he comes back. And then the third ending of the film is at Halloween, they all jump off the roof of the house. That's the true ending. Yeah. That's all I remember. I, for, I remember that they get the spirit out of Nicole Kidman. And I remember the jumping off. But I forget the part where it's like Aiden Quinn leaves. And then a scene later, he's like, I'm back. It is very satisfying how in the end sort of quarter of this movie you start to see them look witchy like you see nicole kidman holding the black cat it's like where's this cat been for this entire movie 
<laughs> and you see them dress as witches for Halloween, which is very cute, obviously. Yeah, this film watching it this time reminded me of another cinematic experience we had together and another very vibey if not way more problematic witch film called don't deliver us from evil oh i remember that okay you br- you brought this dvd over to my apartment once when i was living in that's, new york that's one of those movies like showgirls where it's like it's it gets dark it gets very dark although the spells are super cool they Two French boarding school girls uh, learn witchcraft, but only to do evil shit. Yeah. The title is the coolest thing about that movie, though. Like, Don't Deliver Us from Evil is incredible. I remember you got the DVD from Kim's video, and the sales Mm. associate was like, this is Gaspar Noe's favorite film. So that you just I love that you remember that and I completely forgot that. (laughs) So that you just let you know like the tone (laughs) of the film. Uh R.I.P. Kim's video. That was the best. I just that was like the first place I went when I moved to New York because I'd heard about it so much. I just like rented like that's where I got to see like all the movies I always wanted to see, like Cocksucker Blues, the band Rolling Stones movie like Todd Haynes's superstar all of that shit all at Kim's video it wasn't the same when it moved to First Avenue but no it wasn't Kim's video would never have the practical magic soundtrack I don't even think Amoeba like the LA equivalent would have been Amoeba when I was growing up which Amoeba still exists but like Kim's video it moved to a secondary location and it's just not the same yeah where is Amoeba it's moved on to Hollywood Boulevard, like below one of those new apartments that they've built where all new apartments need to have retail spaces on the bottom. Yeah. Ew. So sad. Well, anyway. Mostly because we want to live in an old-timey Victorian home. Yeah, by the sea, though. That's, that's key here. You can't just build that house anywhere. At what point do we need to build the Patreon to to hire these designers to build us a, a dream house? Let's buy some land in Humboldt and we'll build this house there. It's not a bad premise for a reality TV show. Like if we're developing two practical magic things. So on one hand, there's maybe a potential anthology series right. about the witches that live in the right. house. On the other hand, it's it's a... A home, not home renovation, no. but it's like an HGTV show yeah. about replicating it, the house. Right, and it's my it. great practical magic Airbnb. <laughs> and then we could charge like, I don't know what Airbnbs go for. I would pay so much That's to stay in that house uh, for one night. Honestly, Chell, <laughs> off air I do want to discuss this as a business opportunity for us. I know that everyone's realized that hotels are cheaper than Airbnbs now, but if you could spend a night at at a replica of the (laughs) Practical Magic House, would you not spend $1,000 a night? You'd have to. Yeah. So great. Let's just like find some investors and make this happen. I mean, we got money. Let's. (laughs) All right. Well, that was Practical Magic. My favorite film that I've come to realize makes absolutely no sense, and I'm fine with it. Yeah, who cares? It's fab. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what I would want the plot of the film to be, other than them using witchcraft to do 
you know, evil kind of gone girl shit, like covering up murders, which is what I thought this film was about. Yeah, it's so good. Love it. And it's available, what, is it only available on Amazon? Do we have to pay Daddy Bezos or is... Or are there other places where you can stream it? I mean, or Daddy Tim Cook. It was on HBO Max forever. I want to say that in the fall around Halloween, I'm sure they will put Practical Magic back up. Although, you know, Daddy Zaslav is a confusing fellow, so maybe not. (laughs) He's like, guess what? Spring is when we put Practical Magic back on HBO Max. Even though it's still summer, it's really helping me ease into autumn watching Practical Magic. It's just, it's lovely. It still hurts that this is not a real place. There is no fictional Massachusetts town. This was shot on a soundstage in Burbank, and then the exteriors were shot in Washington State. So depressing. Which is fucked up because it really should have been shot where you grew up. It's, um, that's a little too, like, Twin Peaks, like, woodsy, though. Right. Like, this it feels New Englandy in a way that I think is, like, appealing. Anyway, thank you guys for listening, as always. And is there anything you want us to talk about on the Patreon? Like, throw your suggestions in the comment section, because we always want to hear it. Yeah, we're open to diversifying the content. Yeah. And we're really at your mercy, so whatever you want. Yeah, do you want, like, foot videos from Lauren? (laughs) Wait, why me? Why are you throwing me under the bus? I think you have better feet than me. Oh, thank you. One of us has to, you know, take one for the team. Or or do you want foot videos of the two of us together? (laughs) Literally, no one wants this. A relationship episode with Chell and Tat? (laughs) Yeah, we'll literally do anything, so. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, not anything, but you know what I mean. Most things. Most things. Within reason. And even then, like, we might push some limits. All right, guys. As usual, we don't know how to end this because we don't want to say goodbye to you. But we need to because I'm so hungry and our food is here. So love you all. Watch Practical Magic. And fingers crossed that we get our Crossroads DVD for next month. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Wasn't that fun? Would you like more pithy commentary on films like Sex and the City 2, The First Wives Club, and Love Actually? Join our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you'll get two additional episodes and early access to ad-free main feed episodes. And for $10 a month, we will send you a quarterly sticker so you can show everyone that you are indeed a hot and rich patron. Go to patreon.com slash every outfit. Mm-hmm.